0: and what's up clipper nation jesse cass here with you as we're here for another brand new episode of the believe in clippers podcast as we embark on the 2020 nba playoffs the clippers locking up the two seed after their eight seeding games of the bubble they will take on the dallas mavericks in the first round of the playoffs in what should be A really fun, high-octane playoff series. Uh, Should be an incredible series. We're really excited to talk about it this week uh, to get you prepared for what should be a great matchup. And uh, before we do that, quickly want to let you know, if you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, available wherever podcasts can be found, and of course, Believe.com. So now that all that good stuff is out of the way, we do have a great show this week. My normal co-host, Alex Hacker, is on vacation with his wife and family in Italy. So uh, Alex will not be here this week, but to to help us bring it through, Andrew Greif of the LA Times is back to break it all down, the Clippers' end of their regular season, the full preview of the matchup with the Dallas Mavericks and hopefully beyond for the Clippers in the playoffs. So we're not going to waste any time. A great and really fun conversation with Andrew Greif right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Here we go. And we're now joined here in our guest on the Believe in Clippers podcast. He's returning for his second time on the show, writer for the LA Times, Andrew Greif. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show once again.
1: Yeah, that appearance number two. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a big one too as we are finally <laughs> uh, in August getting ready for NBA playoff basketball. Uh, it's been obviously quite a journey to get here through all the bubble games, but uh, Clippers do get the 2C. They are matching up with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, what are your, just your impressions of the finish to the season for them getting the two seed and and looking forward to this matchup with Dallas. I, th-
1: I thought it was pretty uh, appropriate of the way they handled kind of post game reaction when they, when they clinched the two seed on Wednesday by beating Denver because they were so nonplussed that it was the first time they'd ever uh, clinched the two seed in franchise history for a franchise that has not had much uh, in the way of success. I mean, that's something that, you know, I think most, you know, times when you, you see a team kind of pump that up a little bit. But Doc Rivers didn't even mention it to the players in the locker room. Uh, basically I, I wrote it in my story that there was not really a celebration. It was just a lot of like shrugged shoulders. <laughs> it seemed like every player who talked to us on Zoom after the game just said, like, that's this is nice. But um, and it was hard to get there because of all the the injuries and the lineups and not to discount what it took to get there, but they they know and everybody knows that the ultimate goal is to, you know, not uh, just, you know, get to the first round. This is not last year when they popped champagne in the locker room in Minneapolis, when they clinched the eighth seat. Uh, This was, you know, this is a team that obviously expects to win a championship. I mean, Doc Rivers and Paul George talked today before practice and they, in no uncertain terms said that they are going to be disappointed if they don't win a title. So um, I thought that considering where things were at during the year And the way they kind of caught fire in March to have it taken away because of the suspension of the season. I thought they finished the season pretty well, the restart in terms of momentum. Yes, they don't have everybody yet. Obviously, Montrezl Harrell is likely to come out of quarantine Monday. Um, So, you know, it hasn't been a perfect restart. But I thought they have about as much momentum, which I know is sort of a myth, um, as you could probably have at this point.
0: Yeah, and you alluded to it a little bit there. We know the Clippers – as you mentioned, in playoff history, they haven't gotten the two seed before. And all the great Lob City regular seasons, they always either retired for it or got the third or fourth seed. So getting that two seed ordinarily would be important. Of course, we don't have home court advantage or anything like that this time. But from that era as well, you have all the, the memories of injuries and things in the playoffs. And that's something that obviously looms a little bit large with this team. They've had their struggles staying healthy and having a full team. We know Beverly has been out. You mentioned Montres Harrell having to clear quarantine how much of a concern is that for for this team to to be have their full team together which we haven't seen yet in the bubble
1: yeah it, i think even though the team seems to have played pretty well this year uh, despite all of the attrition and the patchwork lineups um, you absolutely want to um, you know be at full strength and to feel like uh, you have some sort of rhythm you know because uh, th- we can't we can't go back to March enough and talk about that time period when they were, you know, they they blitzed Denver, they crushed Philadelphia, excuse me, they snuck by Philadelphia, but they crushed uh, Oklahoma city and Houston on the road. Uh, They lost Lakers, uh, but just dominated golden state. I mean, they took everybody out in those first last last few weeks of uh, the season before the suspension. And so that's the kind of the, the one little window we have into what this team looks like when they're at full strength and they look, like a championship caliber team. So getting back to that is, is vital. Um, so I know that Montrose Harrell is probably going to be as hungry as ever uh, and motivated as ever coming out of quarantine after uh, his grandmother died, died, and that's unfortunate, and he said that he wants to use that as motivation. Um, so you know he's going to be coming out playing pretty hard, but it will take time to get ready. And as, as, as weird as Dallas has been this year in some ways, the, the way they've kind of been incredible through three quarters in the fourth quarter they struggle um they're still so talented that you just you can't look past them so I uh I do think there's some concern about just making sure that everyone's on the same page but um they they are 3-0 against Dallas this year and they weren't exactly full strength for those three victories either so I would feel pretty confident firing the Clippers
0: yeah it does seem to be a really good matchup for them of course you mentioned Dallas not only a good offensive team but by the metrics the best offensive regular season we've ever seen of course you talked about the the fourth quarter struggles and defensively not nearly as strong near the bottom of the league in that department so specifically on the matchup with Dallas what are some of the things you see that the Clippers could take advantage of in this first round playoff series
1: well I I was at the game in Dallas when they lost Dwight Powell and that was obviously a huge one because he was so good for them and so I know it's been months since that injury happened so they've had plenty of time to to get used to the way they are now, but that, that's such a, that's such a big loss. And um, so I think that's something that is, is going to be hard for Dallas to overcome in this series. Uh, you know, this offense, I think it's 115.9 points per hundred possessions. That's the NBA record now against the Clippers though, it's 106 points per hundred possessions. So it dips significantly and it's actually the Clippers who are up in the 115 range per 100 in those three matchups. So it's, it's, a, it's about a nine, uh, nine point, I want to say 9.5 gap in net rating uh, with the Clippers on top in those three matchups. So that I would say the big guards that the Clippers have uh, big forwards too. you know, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, obviously um, I think that they've caused Lucas Doncic a lot of problems, the kind of problems that he rarely has with anybody. Um, granted, his numbers are still absolutely insane. I think it's like 27 points, nine rebounds, something like that. Um, and, and, but his shooting percentage is 27% from three against the Clippers this year. His overall shooting percentage is 42%. So they've found ways to cause him problems. Um, in, 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 and I think that has to be promising for this matchup if you're the Clippers. You, now, Porzingis, I think, is looking as, as good as he has all year. And so that's a problem. I think Tim Hardaway's done a great job for them, uh, really since he kind of found his role of starting off on the bench but now you know, back into the starting role for for several months now. And I think he's just played pretty well in the bubble. So, um, I, you know, the pick and roll with Luka Doncic, that's where it all starts. He's one of the best uh, in terms of producing points per possession in the NBA, a top 10 guy as a pick and roll ball handler. And if you can't stop Luka, then you can't stop Dallas. Yeah.
0: And it seems like, well, we've we'll known when the Clippers built this team back in the summer and getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, this is part one of the reason right you know having the best two of the best perimeter defenders in the world and guys that can give superstars problems Luca's going to get his numbers as you said but really making him work hard and do it in an inefficient way it seems like the clippers have done that in the three meetings this year
1: yeah and i think he's also averaging five turnovers per game in the three matchups this year so you know you're going to expect turnovers when he has as high a usage rate as as Luca has and how much they depend on him but, again, the Clippers seem to be able to, to frustrate him in ways that maybe some other teams do not. I mean, I remember – I forget which Dallas Clippers game it was this year, but he left the arena without even talking to reporters after one game because he was it was just a terrible night for him. And, again, th- those happen so rarely. That's why we think about them. That's why, that's why I'm bringing this up time and again. You just don't see Luka Doncic struggle. I mean, he's one of the best 21-year-olds the NBA has ever seen. So uh, the way that they've been able to – I think, uh, you know – let him think he's getting to his spots maybe with a, a you know uh kind of the, the one dribble back back step with the three pointers um that's something that you have to fear but with him again he's just not shooting it that well against the Clippers I think they they want him to, uh, to take that shot um I'm impressed with him I think that you know you've heard Rick Carlisle say that he's a mix of like Jason Kidd and Larry Bird and Doc Rivers said something along those same lines today uh, you're never gonna you know you're never gonna Get the Clippers have anything less than total respect for Luca, uh, and yet they seem to know that they can kind of uh, you know push him toward the way they want to go in some ways. You know whether that's an errant pass here or there, a three pointer that maybe he could have passed out of. Um, they they found solutions.
0: And how much uh, in your view is is experience important in this series? You know Dallas is an extremely young team, obviously very talented. Clippers have a lot of guys who have been through a lot of playoff battles, of course, with Kawhi taking the title last year. But um, is that negated at all by this bubble scenario? Does it make it, you know, a stronger thing with the inexperience? Does it make it less? In your estimation, what do you think about that?
1: That has been something that's been talked about quite a bit these last few days as the playoffs were approaching. And I've asked uh, Doc and Kawhi this, and and Paul George had mentioned something along the lines today, too, the, the lack of the home court advantage. How much of a discernible advantage is that uh, or does that, does that flatten things in the bubble to make things more unpredictable? Doc Rivers said that he thought it was absolutely going to be a factor. What I thought was interesting, though, was he said that he didn't know necessarily who that would um, you know, help the most in this situation. Does it help the road team, the quote-unquote road team? Does it help the quote-unquote home team? He said he, even after three weeks of watching games in this environment, he's still like not really sure. Um, but... I do think we should be prepared for unpredictability because not only are players not really in the hostile environments. um, If we think about like the, the the travel as being uh, something that can really wear on guys and it's true, but the pressure of playing on the road is something that even Paul George brought up talking to reporters today that he didn't feel like there was as much pressure necessarily in the bubble, which I thought was a really fascinating thing because the idea of pressure and maybe, would the bubble environment allow players who don't do so well in such pressure-packed situations uh, play well, play better in the bubble? I think we talked about this last time. Well, he seemed to acknowledge today that, yeah, it's a real thing, and he almost pointed toward the Suns and their 8-0 play in the bubble as, like, these guys came in, they had nothing to lose, they just let it fly, and look what it did for them. So uh, that, to me, was almost like a warning of, yeah, you're going to see teams just feel like, you know what, this is a neutral site, let's just go for it.
0: And of course, you spent some time in the bubble covering this thing. Is there any discernible home court advantage from when teams have the home court in terms of having their sounds and you know the virtual fans who obviously can't make all, any real noise, but any piped-in noise? Does there any type of advantage, or is it all just pretty neutral from your vantage point?
1: Unless you are a player who gets awed by the sight of a pregame hype video from the opposing team, then there is really no advantage to being a home team you know that's that's really the only thing that changes that the public address calls are are meant to evoke the home team's arena uh and then there's you know the home team introductions they that has with the same pregame hype video that plays on any home team screen you know the minutes before tip off and and that's where the the um, ability to really make this feel like the staple center for example, for the Clippers, that's where it ends. So I, I had was not able to pick up any difference. And I think JJ Reddick has even said that he was not even sure in the middle of games, like, oh, wait, are we the home team or the, are the away team?
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see, like you said, if that affects any players or allows players who would be affected by, you know, say a, a raucous home crowd, if it makes them looser or play better. And we know that, you know, for the Clippers, for all the talk about it, being a Laker town, which it is, and that, would affect them maybe later on that the Clippers home crowd during playoff games that aren't against a team in their own city have, have been pretty good. So that's obviously something that they'll be missing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I remember I've only had one playoff series uh, under my belt as a beat writer uh, with the Clippers. And so I've barely seen that window into what the Clippers home crowd really is like. And, but I have seen the Lakers home games and the Lake and the Clippers home games when the two teams play each other. And I know that they sound very similar they sound very much like Lakers games. So I, d- I don't think you can rule that out. I don't think that's just fan talk. Uh, that's a real thing. And that would, to me, that would be an advantage towards the Clippers if these teams meet.
0: Yeah. And, and looking at this, you know, some of the stuff we talked about last time, one of the big things you were looking for was, will Marcus Morris show up and, may, you know, help this team in the way that they thought he would. And, and almost on cue, he really started playing better, making three-point shots, shooting efficiently, had a couple of double-digit scoring outputs, what did you see from him and was it enough in your eyes to, to feel confident in him going forward into the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I think that um, he has not shot the ball all that well, but I have been impressed that he is playing pretty good defense. Um, and, and I think that he kind of, he spoke about this the other day too, that he feels like he understands that uh, he's not getting the type of shots he would be getting in New York. And so he's not uh, taking, you know, he's just not, he's not expecting, going in expecting 15 shots. Uh, that to me is a self-awareness that I I think I was kind of curious about what he have uh, because he was getting all kinds of shots in New York and he was known as a ball stopper. Uh, He, he is someone who I think is, I think he has the highest plus, uh, plus, uh, well, the Clippers outscore teams more when he's on the court than anybody else this year, Uh, even more than Kawhi Leonard, even more than Pat Beverly. So the good things happen when Marcus Morris is on the floor, it's a matter of channeling it. Um, And so I, I guess, he was not someone who I left the bubble of uh, the seeding games thinking was kind of had, had had a breakthrough two weeks anyway, but he did play well. And I think this was like a positive step forward for him.
0: Yeah. One thing that I've been uh, impressed with, with Marcus Morris, and, and actually having watched a lot of, you know, Knicks games with him earlier in the year as well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a completely different role for him, as you said. And uh, you know, it seems like he's taken that and, and embraced it with open arms. You know, someone who did have, you know, 17 to 20 shots a game. And now all of a sudden, you know, that's diminished by a lot. And he's really hasn't been a big ball stopper occasionally here and there, but uh, he seems to be playing within the offense for this Clippers team.
1: And this thing I talked to him about only a few weeks after he was traded um, was just kind of that adjustment period and how, even if you know going in that that's going to be the case, that you will no longer be the focal point of the offense. How hard is that to really do in practice? And, and he was really candid to his credit and basically said, yeah, it's, it is hard. I and mean, because even if you know that you won't be getting those shots, when you were getting that type of that steady diet of, of passes and, and opportunities, you just grow used to it. Um, and so, and it, plus you just don't, you're trying to find your way within the locker room environment, uh, you know, just kind of socially just trying to figure out where guys are at um, how to approach guys, you know, you're building bonds on the fly in the middle of the year. You can kind of tell that the extra four months, has, has probably helped him quite a bit from that perspective, even though he wasn't around a whole lot of guys very often. It was still a time where he, you could, you know, better understand exactly what his role needed to be and exactly what Doc Rivers wanted him to do. He's still you know, online to leave uh, in late September, he said, for the birth of his second son. So again, you know, as much as, I think there has been a portion of, of fans who I've seen online who have been really disappointed in his play um, you know be careful what you wish for because he is you know able to guard uh, bigger guys um, he is still a, a four spacer you know people do respect him still and so when, he, when that goes away I'll be really curious how the Clippers compensate
0: yeah and on that same vein you know obviously when Morris is there he's going to be in the rotation but what do you see as far as the Clippers rotation in the playoffs we know around playoff time it, it always shortens up a little bit who do you see as the guys you know, obviously the starting five is going to get a big chunk, but you know, the nine, eight or nine, 10 guys who, who get significant minutes in the playoff run.
1: Yeah. I think that the guys who I could see dropping out um, or Joakim Noah, you know, he was a guy who prior to the final seeding game, where he played a a huge chunk of minutes, he had played 11 total minutes in the team's previous six games. Um, that, That doesn't discount his role as I think, uh, a vocal leader and a developer for Zubats yeah. as a center uh, to kind of impart what he's learned through his career to, to the young guy but I don't really see him um, having a sustained role I could see him playing spot minutes of course against a big center if you need minutes like that maybe two or three but uh, do not think he'll be a regular rotation contributor I could see Rodney McGruder falling out You know, uh, Patrick Patterson falling out and obviously Amir Coffey and Terrence Mann I would not expect them to play much um, those guys, throughout the year, have each again had had moments where they, they get you know injected in the lineup for a specific reason, and maybe that is against Dallas, Brodie Magruder's chance to just harangue uh, Luka Doncic and to harass him and and give Kawhi Leonard and Paul George a little bit of a break, maybe um, especially with that second unit. If, if if there's ever kind of time where Luka is playing against the second unit, maybe they need a defender, and it's not Lou Williams or Reggie Jackson maybe that's Rodney's time to chase him around. But uh, I, I would say, you know, Patrick Beverly, assuming everyone is healthy, obviously, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Avita Zubats, Marcus Morris, Patrick Beverly. Then you have Landry Schammett, Jermichael Green, uh, Luke Williams, Montrez Harrell, and, and you're at nine guys right there. So um, that, is, that has definitely been the, the kind of core nine all year. And beyond that, it's going to probably be just circumstances and situations.
0: What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated you never use it. That's exactly the type of system SimpliSafe has spent a decade fighting against. Safe is designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24-7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. Head to simplysafecom team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com/team. It feels good to fear less. You now, obviously, you're not directly around the team because of the whole the bubble, and you're now back in Los Angeles. But uh, any sense of how much confidence the Clippers have in in the health of Patrick Beverly and Landry Shamit? We know the we talked about Montres Harrell trying to clear quarantine, but just the availability of those guys when going into this series starting on Monday.
1: I asked Doc that uh, today, which is Saturday, about what any update would be on Landry and Patrick Beverly and he did not have an update. So he's hopeful that he can get them incorporated. They practiced Saturday. They are going to practice Sunday as well before tip off Monday. Um, obviously they'd like to get those guys back on the floor because Patrick Beverly has missed now uh, almost one week. Um, and that's, that's a significant chunk of time. Uh, Landry Shannon's been out for a decent little chunk too. So it's not just like, not like they've been out for two days, you know, this is going to take a little bit of time to get them back up to speed You don't want to incorporate three new guys essentially counting Montrez Harrell in there into a rotation in game one, less than ideal. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. No question. We'll see if, uh, you know, those guys are ready to go for game one and uh, you know how the Clippers do Uh, obviously, you know, we mentioned that this is on paper, a favorable matchup for the Clippers. What did you think of just their overall playoff draw? You know, they have Dallas, they're in the same side of the bracket as you know, the Denver, Utah side of, basically avoiding obviously the Lakers and the Rockets and some of those dangerous teams uh, until a potential conference finals matchup.
1: I think it's, I think it's good. You know, uh, they, I know I said earlier that they, they throttled Houston. They made, it was one of Houston's kind of worst losses ever since they made the radical change of dropping the center and um, you know, they've been playing really well. And then they just got stomped in early March by the Clippers in Houston that was an eye-opening game and the Clippers went big for that game. They did not kind of play down. They had Zubats who started and Zubats had one of his best games um, all year. I remember that was a a huge turning point for him confidence-wise because he stayed on the floor against a smaller lineup, which was a problem last year in the playoffs against Golden State. Um, But, uh, you know, that's, that's still a wonky enough matchup where for, you know, four games or five games or beyond it's I'm sure it would cause problems. So um, not to say that Denver is, an easier possibility in the second round or Utah for that matter. But uh, I just think that Houston what they do is so unique that it's going to change what you do probably a little more than the other opponents that could be in their path. Um, I, I like, I think that Denver is one of those teams where they've had such trouble. I mean, we talked about the Clippers having lack of rhythm in the bubble, but the, the Denver has had so much trouble getting guys on the floor that I think we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what that finished product could look like in terms of like playoff rotations um, who will get the bulk of the minutes. But I will say that Michael Porter jr has been, you know, he's been the guy that I think people thought he might be when he came out um, of high school, just in terms of that track to being a really, really solid score. Uh, I, I really like what he did in the seating games. Obviously he became a starter that scares me. And there was, and there was a, there was a pass that Jokic made to Michael Porter jr on the open court in one game against the Clippers, and it was just like a 90-foot pass. And I don't know how you throw it to a guy who's 6'10". I don't know how you defend that. And that was if – I'm, if I'm any team, you know that's probably going to happen very rarely, but you're terrified by that. Uh, so, I overall, I would say it's probably what they wanted or what they would hope to um, to have. But I think Denver is, is still – they have that possibility because they got to the second round last year, they to a game seven. They've got confidence. They've been there. If that's the team they indeed see in the second round, if they get the second round, uh, boy, I, I, would, I would not breathe much easier by that matchup.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot of talent there, even with, like you said, Gary Harris and Will Barton not having played a minute in the bubble. But, you know, Michael Porter Jr., Bowl Bowl, some of these young, really talented guys could be, could be wild cards, especially with what we talked about, the, you know, the no crowds. It could be just a little bit less pressure for them.
1: And that might be, you know, it's been talked about, but there's no altitude with Denver, obviously. I mean, that might be something that works against them. I, some, you know, again, some people will say that's just in your mind. Some people say, no, it really does affect players. Who knows? But, but that is something that was the, one of the more unique advantages that a team had in the NBA, and now it's gone.
0: Yeah, that series in particular is, is interesting because I feel like those are probably two of the, the toughest playoff environments in Denver and Utah, and obviously neither team will get to enjoy either of those advantages.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've only been to one Utah game, actually. uh, But I was really impressed with it. It was early in the season. Uh, I think it was the first night Kawhi sat out for load management. Um, But yeah, that was my first time really in that pressure cooker environment. and Even for like a a late October game, it was just still intense. And so I would not want to be there in April or May.
0: Yeah, no question about it. So, um, you know, you mentioned Zubats as well. Obviously, he's you know, big fan favorite with the Clippers, such a young guy, such a talented player. And, you know, he has really improved, as you said, from last year, not being able to really stay on the floor against the Warriors to really take advantage. We saw recently against Dallas where he had the 10 for 10 game and just, you know, 25 minutes, huge performance. We know Dallas likes to play small. How confident is Doc Rivers in this team and Zubat's ability to, to take advantage of some of those mismatches and, and stay on the floor with a team that really likes to stretch it out and shoot the three?
1: It's that's that's one of the most interesting subplots is Doc Rivers' trust in Zubats down the stretch of these playoff games. Um, I sort of asked a version of that to Doc after the, I think the Dallas game, and said, you know, uh, kind of what is, does this change your, your, in terms of like your approach to how you handle fourth quarters, something like that. And he pretty much made it clear that Montrez Harrell is is the, going to reinherit his role. Uh, as being the guy they close with. So I guess I wouldn't anticipate enormous gobs of playing time for Zubats late in close games. Um, it just seems like that's going to be the domain. Montrez Harrell, he's been so good at that. Um, even if sometimes playing 15 straight minutes drives some, you know, <laughs> Clippers fans on social media, absolutely insane. It is something that I just see him going back to because it, it's, he is, Montreux was like a comfort blanket. You know, you just know absolutely what you're going to get from him. Uh, I, I do think that Zubats has shown that, you know, he's not this lead footed guy. Um, he, you know, he is someone who he's not going to, you don't want him in that, in that pick and roll matchup on the perimeter. Of course, it's like, you don't really want any seven footer, um, but he is something I, I think he's not, we, should, we need to think about him as not just the guy who's been really solid around the rim as a rim protector. Um, he's, he's, his game, he can step out offensively and shoot it. You know, from from the elbows. I think that defensively, he's kind of getting more confident, especially during the bubble where he got a lot more playing time. I think that had to give him more confidence than maybe he would have been if Montrezl had been here the whole time. So, if if you're Zubats right now, you probably enter the playoffs riding about as high as you can.
0: Yeah, and that's it's it's funny too because we've heard so much from you know different you know, pundits and media outlets throughout the year about the Clippers, you know, lack of size or center rotation. And it seems like it's all come together with Michael Green playing really well and, you know, having the backups of, of Noah and Patterson if they need, of course, with Zubats and Harrell that they might have one of the deeper center rotations in the league going into the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And remember, I mean, people who followed last year's Golden State series closely will remember that that series, was uh, there was a turning point in it when Jermichael Green started at center and took Zubat's minutes? But he just showed you um, his Green's ability and, and preparedness to play that small ball five. And that's been one of the biggest uh, breakthroughs, I think, if you ask the Clippers right now about what they had hoped for from this bubble experiment, which was to get Jermichael playing a little bit more small ball five and the the amount of time they were able to do it because Montrezl Harrell wasn't here. Um, they got so much more time that they have no doubt now kind of what they have there. So I think that you'll still see, even if, even if Trez comes back um, and is ready to go right from the start, I think that you would see a lot of Trez and Jermichael Green minutes together with Jermichael at the five. That, that was a combination that was used all the time throughout the year. Um, and so I, I, I do think that that would still be something that would work and it Trez, wouldn't. Trez's return, won't necessarily uh i think kind of take away some of the good things that jermichael's doing
0: yeah jermichael is at his ability to, to shoot which we already knew but he is lighting it up from three-point range in the bubble so that's obviously a huge plus for them if they, he can continue that in playoffs
1: and i will say that one time i asked someone like who is the sneaky best athlete on the clippers and they said jermichael green mm-hmm. and i remember i come back to that person a couple times and I'm like so like really and they're like yes like you know people don't Maybe give him enough credit uh, because he's, he's a bigger guy. You know, he's like 6'8", 6'9". Um, but he's got really good hops. Uh, and you've seen that a couple of times with some projections at the rim during the bubble play. So I, I, don't, I, I know he can get thought of as just like this really amazing catch-and-shoot player right now. He's shooting 51% on catch-and-shoot threes in the bubble, which is up, I think, from 37% during the, uh, the pre-pandemic portion of the season. Um, but he really is able to hold his own down low, and I'll be, I'll be really curious to see kind of what he's able to do, um, if given a lot of minutes.
0: Yeah, and as we, we move forward into the playoffs, we know that we've talked a little bit about the matchup, obviously. You know, the Clippers are expecting big performances from their two stars in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, you know, Kawhi, of course, just doing it at such a high level this past year and others, but... What do you expect from, from those two guys in this, in this atmosphere? They've obviously both played extremely well in the bubble, but just going into playoff basketball.
1: That's, I know I've been said a couple of times that there've been some really positive developments from the bubble, but the obvious, you know, best development from the Clippers perspective has to be that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard look both very healthy and very comfortable and very in rhythm around one another, uh, because that was, Something that was the dynamic that had been watched ever since the two signs, the two arrived with the Clippers 13 months ago, is how would they play together? Um, In the bubble, you've seen them really complement one another well. And something that was, I think, kind of an enlightening comment that Paul George made when we talked to him today was that those two in particular made up for lost time together by visiting one another during the hiatus. And... Um, I don't know if that was uh, necessarily greenlit by the you know the, the county department of health, um, but, but that seems to have worked wonders for the Clippers uh, because those two guys, sometimes, you know, they'd be in and out of the lineup. One guy might be resting, the other be playing, one guy might be hurt, one guy be healthy. Uh, and they had kind of a, a good relationship from the years before they came together, um, both being generally kind of from the outer, you know, L.A., Excerpt, yeah. Um, you know, following similar paths towards stardom, you know, middle of the first round, you know, developing to all around players. Um, but it seems like this time during the hiatus was really valuable for them to build the trend, the, the chemistry and make up for lost time that they didn't really have in the first few months when things were just moving so quickly. So I think those two averaging, you know, uh, I think it's Paul George has pl- scored 20 plus in six straight games Kawhi Leonard 20 and 11 straight games. Those are those are the two most important indicators the Clippers have to have, and we all knew that going into the year, but the fact that they are both seemingly healthy and uh, feeling like they're in pretty good rhythm is obviously the most positive thing that can could have come out of the bubble.
0: Yeah, and obviously, as always, a big shout out to, to Steve Ballmer. We know he sent the whole team Pelotons and workout gear and, you know, obviously was very focused on keeping them ready for this restart whenever it was going to happen, and you know, as you said, they got the two seed, they're locked into where they, they wanted to be. So it, it worked out in that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, they had 32 different starting lineups this year, second most in the NBA, not easy to, to win 49 games like they did. Um, you know, there was, there was, I think you have to owe it to a lot of the depth as much as we talk about the superstars, obviously the depth of this team is what allowed them to pull this off. And so um, that, they, that part shouldn't be discounted, even though everyone was knew the focus was on the postseason no matter what. I mean, they could probably they could have probably been seeded third, fourth, fifth. They, they probably wouldn't have cared as long as they got in and felt like they were, at the time of the playoffs, starting healthy and ready and in rhythm. But the fact that they were able along the way to get the two seed um, and, and not just kind of uh, bumble in, uh, to really you know pick up some momentum in March and then also in the bubble, uh, puts them in a position that they probably uh, could have, the best position they could have hoped for, going in at this point uh, they do feel like they are while they while they wish they would have had more time together clearly they did not have all 15 guys together at any single point in the bubble uh, this is still a, a place where the guys seem to be in, in very close communication with one another uh, on the same page and a pretty good chemistry
0: yeah and as we go forward into this series uh, what's your your number one thing for the clippers you know if you had to choose to, to be successful in their first round series and Uh, following that up after uh what's your prediction for you know who's the winner how many games and and what goes forward in this first round
1: yeah i could see i think the clippers will win six games um because i think it'd be i think it'd be foolish to um consider dallas just an easy an easy out or just kind of to look beyond and immediately you know i think that they'll make this really hard uh I know that Luka Doncic is still so young, but he's so good, and and Porzingis is is right there with him. That uh, I think it's a really daunting task for any defense, let alone um, one as good as the Clippers has been. Uh, I, I they they really have to find shooters. They did a pretty poor job of that uh, during seeding round play. I think they allowed seventeen or more three pointers at least four times in a row. Uh, that was something that doomed them against Phoenix, for example. Then. They allowed 17 threes against Dallas. Um, I, 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 they really need to be able to find those guys and to lock in on their matchups uh, because they're gonna. If they're gonna lose good shooters, then that's gonna cause a whole lot of problems. Um, not only from the perimeter, but you know, eventually probably breakdowns for the interior of their defense as well. Um, so, I, you know, just staying locked in, especially from guys like you know Reggie Jackson, who did not have a great defensive showing in the bubble so far. Uh, I think Patrick Patterson, if he does get in some get some run, I think he needs to get some, provide some really focused minutes. But overall, you just need this team to be healthy because I think if they're, if they, if they are kind of even close to being at full strength, this is a a really talented roster that is going to be hard, I think, to outlast for seven games. So uh, stay healthy and, and probably don't overextend themselves. And that's, and that is really difficult because we talked about role identity and knowing your identity as a team and how that's been disrupted all throughout the year because of the injuries the lack of time together they've only played 11 games at full strength um so knowing going into this playoff exactly what your role has to be from player to player is going to be pretty vital
0: yeah and we know that's something that doc rivers always preaches is being a star in your role and and hopefully for the clippers uh you know the return of patrick beverly and landry Shammett will will help with some of those defensive issues on the perimeter that you were talking about, but they certainly missed that in some of those games. Like you said, the Nets and, and the Suns games in particular.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, we've talked about Luka Doncic all day. We could talk about him even more, but you know, he, everything is so, everything starts with pick and roll with them around the perimeter. You have to watch hard away. Um, I, Porzingis is going to stop out and shoot from, you know, 28 feet. I, I think that, if they are not locked in from the very start about how their perimeter defense is, it's going to cause a lot of problems. So Patrick Beverly, as we know, is the, is the bellwether for this entire roster. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are undoubtedly the most talented players in the roster. They are uh, the players whose the championships, championship hopes hinge on, but Patrick Beverly really is uh, the kind of the fuel in this engine. I mean, something about him just changes the way this team plays when he's on the, on the court. So, They really need him to be healthy and to be able to play and give them some minutes.
0: Yeah, and we'll see, uh, you know, their health and everything on Monday. It should be a really fun and exciting series. Uh, Andrew, before I let you go, uh, I feel like we have to bring it up just because it was such a dominant part of the news cycle. But, you know, the Damian Lillard subplot with Paul George and and Patrick Beverly. I know you are obviously around the team. or talking to them through Zoom. Uh, what's been the discussion around that, especially after, you know, Lillard, of course, missed the free throws against the Clippers, but has uh, gone on a wild tear since then, uh, since that moment.
1: Yeah. I think do, do the people of Portland, uh, the people I love affectionately from, you know, having lived there, <laughs> do they need to send like gift baskets to Patrick Beverly and Paul George? Because man, uh, he has played otherworldly basketball ever since that game, ever since those two free throws were missed. Uh it, I mean, I thought that you you just knew the second that happened, and I happened to be in the air. That was the last game I watched in the bubble. Just watching that happen unfold in front of me live, and seeing the the guys kind of wave goodbye, you just in the moment it didn't take much to think, okay, this is going to cause somebody a problem. Uh, you know, Bill does not suffer fools. Does not suffer embarrassment. Uh, he's obviously been so clutched his entire career. So. Uh, It hasn't really been discussed, you know, it hasn't really been brought up on the calls. I know there was a report that Paul George tried to bury the hatchet um, with Damian Lillard and made a call. Chris Haynes reported that that it had had gotten a little ugly. Some family members were involved on social media, lobbing back and forth some some verbal attacks at one another. Uh, But boy, I mean, that is that also is Patrick Beverly just distilled. I mean, like he's, he's in street clothes and he's not physically able to really help the team, but I would watch him those games that he was hurt and he would just be hanging like laying over this divider between the court and the bench. I mean, like he was just pounding it. It was almost like a hot, you know, a hockey where they have the boards. That that was Patrick Beverly. He's just the most vocal guy in an empty arena. You saw it. Right there, and obviously caused a lot of ire. But um, obviously, Clippers fans would would have nothing else than have that acting that way. So it's I, I'll be I'll be it, obviously if those two teams were to meet in the playoffs, that would be incredible, very unlikely too. Yeah. But I think it, just the, these fireworks from that matchup would be something that uh, even even though I don't really believe it's going to happen, uh, a guy can dream, a beat writer can dream because the storylines. <laughs> would be absolutely insane
0: yeah that would be incredible and as you said that's definitely who Patrick Beverly is there's nothing inauthentic about that he's <laughs> gonna do that no matter who he's talking to or who the opponent is but you know maybe it was a, a chestnut checkers thing they knew maybe a little more motivated Damian Lillard would if they make it to the eight seed and, and win this play-in that uh made me make it slightly tougher on the Lakers although as we said none of us expect them to really take them out but you know why not give it a, a little extra boost for Damian Lillard
1: yeah, to your point, if, if there was someone, if there was like a Disney worker shooting hoops on his on his off time at the at the Grandestino Tower court, like maybe like an outdoor court, I'm pretty sure Patrick Beverly would be razzing that guy if he <laughs> missed several in a row. Like that's just who Pat Beverly is. I mean, he's like the world's best, uh, you know, if, world's best like example of you love him when he's on your team and you despise him when he's not. Uh, that that has to be him. Uh, he's gonna get under guys' skin um, and light a fire into people who. Players who do not need to be lit like that. It's, he what what Damian Lillard has done ever since then. I mean, just incredible. And again, I lived in Portland, so I watched a lot of his his out you know his outbursts there and his accomplishments. But what he's done is just like I've been like showing my four year old the games, being like, "You need to watch this. Like this is incredible to watch." Yeah.
0: No, it's something where at a certain point, yeah, you got to appreciate that level of greatness. And you know, Lillard named the for whatever it's worth the the bubble. MVP, most valuable player for eight <laughs> games and well-deserving their unanimous selection. So as we said, we can only hope that uh, we'll see a lot of very, very entertaining basketball in the playoffs from not only him, but of course the Clippers and what we hope is a long playoff run for them.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we could be talking about the Clippers in the late September, uh, if, not, if not mid-October, depending on how things break. Um, it's, I, I, again, I go back to the unpredictability, though. We all look at this team as being so deep, so talented, so prepared. Um, and yet, I, I think that we just have to realize that this is an, a circumstance that the league has never seen before. And I do think you'll, you will see a Phoenix-like team in the playoffs that maybe be some people. And whether they take out a contender like the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, I don't know. But I do think you'll see someone get hot and, and upend expectations.
0: Yeah, and obviously, as you said, you got to be careful with a team that has – a legit superstar maybe even you know two with what Porzingis can do as well as you mentioned so it won't be uh, a cakewalk for the Clippers it should be a really fun entertaining series between the two and uh, as always we appreciate you coming on the show and can uh break this thing down as as it goes along
1: of course yeah I'm so happy
0: and a huge thank you again to our guest Andrew Greif for coming back on the show to give us that Great insight and playoff preview for the Clippers and the Mavericks. Round 1, it all begins this Monday evening, 6 p.m. in Los Angeles. Los Angeles time, that is. Of course, the games all taking place in Orlando. But Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, games one, two, three, and 4 for the Clippers. And we'll see if anything goes beyond that. But Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Superstar Clips against Luka Doncic. Christoph Porzingis and the Superstar Mavs should be a really fun first round matchup so we'll break it all down here on the Believe Podcast Network to ensure that you hear all of that subscribe rate review we really appreciate when you do that and of course you can find us wherever podcasts are found but until then we'll talk to you during the week when the Clippers get this playoffs rolling Clippers Mavs let's get it here on the Believe Podcast Network